Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? Is there anybody in here who has ever had to deal with stuff before? You know what I mean when I say stuff? It's like there's not exactly a better word that might fit that. But when we're trying to tell somebody what we're going through, we don't really have time to really delve into all of the details and into all of the intricacies of what we are going through. And so we just say to that person, I'm just tired of dealing with stuff. And stuff. And just stuff. Stuff in the family, job stuff, medical stuff, marriage stuff, financial stuff, political stuff, racial stuff. Just tired of dealing with stuff. We have some help this morning. And our message is going to be in Psalm 55 today. And as you are on your way there, I just want to establish what the context is of Psalm 55 and to paint the picture of what our background is as we read this text. Now, of course, as it was with with many of the Psalms, it is written by King David. David, as we all know, is the man after God's own heart. David is a man who would slay giants, but what's what's interesting, though, is that even David had to deal with stuff. And so many times in this life, we can learn from somebody else. We don't have to, to experience something firsthand. It's called vicarious learning. And what vicarious learning means is that we can look at another person's life. We can see what they're doing right. We can see what is good within them that they're doing. And we can mimic that in our lives. So we can learn vicariously in that regard. But we can also learn vicariously from other people when we look at what they're doing that is wrong. Mistakes that they have made. And when we learn vicariously, we we make sure not to make the same mistakes in our own lives. And that's what we find all throughout Scripture. We find there in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, what the Apostle Paul says is he points back to to very specific mistakes that that their ancestors had made. And what he says is, he says, now these things took place as examples for us, notice, that we might not desire the evil just as they also had. He says it again, 1 Corinthians 10, and then again in verse 10, where he says, now flee, or rather, he says, now these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our own instruction. What, what he's speaking about there is how the Israelites had grumbled aloud against God. Many of them had fallen as a result, and so what Paul is saying there is, don't make the same mistakes that they had made. This is why I am writing this letter for you. And so this morning, let's learn vicariously through King David. Because what is going on as as he writes Psalm 55, we believe at least, 
is that he's got a son whose name is Absalom. Absalom hates his father at this point in time. Absalom has launched a coup against his father. And he's raised up soldiers and officers. And, they, and he's literally on his way to go, go kill his father right now. But where it gets even worse for King David, though, is that one of his very closest friends and his counselor, Ahithophel, he has joined Absalom in this coup against his father. And now he too is conspiring against the king of Israel. And yet as, as King David flees out of Jerusalem at this point in time though, he is walking far down below and high up above on a hill is, is this other guy and he starts throwing rocks at David. And he is cursing David out. He throws a rock at the king and he curses him. He throws another rock at David and he curses him. He throws another rock at David and he curses him. And one of David's right-hand men in his military, he says, why don't I go up there right now and I take his head off right now? How does that sound, David? Because, I mean, that was protocol. That was not how you spoke to the king of Israel. But here's how King David responds to this guy cursing him out in front of everybody, throwing rocks at him. And again, let's learn vicariously through David in, in all regards here. Because what David says is, you know what? No, no, no. Let him throw rocks at me. Let him call me every name in the book if he wants to. I don't care. There are more important matters in my life right now than responding to some guy who's, I mean, he's small potatoes. David is dealing with stuff here. It just seems like it's all happening at once as he writes Psalm 55. And that is what the backdrop is of this psalm. And I want to begin there in verses 4 and 5 in Psalm 55. Where in this season of David's life, what he says is, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. I mean, his son is trying to kill him. One of his very closest friends and advisors has just deserted and has abandoned him. And just as he's in a place where it looks like he's about to have a little bit of relief, we've got this guy throwing rocks at him and cursing him out. And I mean, it's just one thing after another for David's. And yet you and I also know what the stuff of this life is all about, don't we? I mean, you may have very well walked inside this sanctuary this morning, dragging all of this stuff with you. I've done it many times in, in years past. When we're living in these seasons, in these circumstances of our life, where, where we're just looking around at all of this stuff, wanting so bad for all of this stuff to just go away, wondering how on earth we're going to make it through all of this stuff. And yet notice what we find in verse 6, though. We've seen his anguish and his anxiety, but now it has driven him. Verse 6, what he says is, and he, sa he says, And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. 
I would fly far away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away and I would lodge in the wilderness. You see, his anxiety, his anguish has driven him to this point where now he is yearning for isolation, for escapism. And as I read this in this past week, it made me think about all of the stuff that that I've encountered in my life. It's not identical to what David's going through, but it's stuff. And when that stuff had mushroomed in my life, when until three years ago, I couldn't even talk to people because I had a speech deformity, something that, that whenever I would try to order in restaurants, I would look and every single person in that restaurant was staring right at me, smirking at me, gawking at me as, I, as my mouth was wide open, but no words were coming out. When you're at a church and the, the oldest women in that church, usually the, you know, really the backbone and the heart of any church I've ever known, when it gets back to you that the oldest women in the church had been laughing behind your back and, and mocking the way that you would twitch when, when you would stutter. People in the church who literally told me that I was worthless and inferior and threw us out in the street with the morning garbage. You might imagine that you lived that way for all of those years for, for, for my entire life. And I mean, I would come home and, you know, there are a lot of people who aspire to be rich and wealthy and successful in this world. And yet what I grew up dreaming of was to disappear. I mean, I was lusting to vanish and to never be seen or heard from ever again. That, that would have been a dream come true for me. And I think this is where David is, though, as we read this text, where he's got all of this responsibility as the king of Israel, all of this responsibility of, of leadership, but notice David doesn't want it anymore. It's almost like David is looking back at his life and he just remembers, man, can't you remember when it was just you and those sheep out in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness? Before Samuel poured all of that oil on my head and I was anointed as the king of Israel, life was so much more easier and simpler for me. And you know what? As for us, the anointing of God on our lives, I discovered, will not make our life trouble-free. When we wear the name of Jesus Christ, that, that instantaneously does not make everything easy in our lives. Just because we become a Christian and have joined the church does not mean that our troubles now, all of a sudden, are now forever over. If anything, our troubles intensify once we start following Jesus. When we come up out of that water, yes, that is the greatest day of our lives, but, but when we come up out of that water, we're coming up with, with all of these bullseyes on us that weren't there before. You know, there was another child that King David had, Solomon. And what Solomon writes later on in the book of Proverbs, he says, he says heartache crushes the spirit. And I know every single person here knows exactly what that's like to live through. 
This is where David is right now. Where the stuff of this world has him by the throat and it's suffocating him. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, he writes. I would be far away and at rest. I would fly far away and lodge out in the wilderness. You know, in other words, what he's saying is that I would just disappear. We would never see or, or even hear from David ever again. Oh, but David soon discovered that, that God, God doesn't operate like that. God is not opening up any doors that, that will let him make a very quick and, and a very convenient exit through the stuff. As we've discovered, God does not take us around the stuff. God takes us through the stuff, doesn't he? And I mean, you and I all experience the anguish, the ache, the anxiety, the circumstances of the stuff of this world. And here's David, and he, I mean, he's daydreaming of escapism. He wants to be isolated. And I mean, just let me say that isolation has its necessary place. I think about a prophet whose name was Elijah. He's dealing with stuff in his own way, as Queen Jezebel says that, that I'm going to have his head. And so Elijah is scared to death, and, and he's dealing with stuff. And we see Elijah fly far away down into the wilderness. We find him lying underneath a juniper tree, and, and this great prophet who we read about in the book of James, who, who had prayed so who had so much fervor as he prayed that, that it literally affected nature, made it rain, and made it drought. With the same amount of fervor, if not more fervor, this same exact man now is praying, God, take me out right now. God, end my life right now. And yet again, that's not what God does in our lives. And so what does God do for Elijah? God, God gives him exactly what he needed, solitude. He gives him food and, and he lets him rest for a little bit. He gives him a pause from the stuff. And yet as it pertains to stuff, I mean, all the people in Scripture we read about put together could not compare to the stuff that Jesus had to experience on a daily basis. I mean, we read about him in the gospel books going into one highly stressful situation after another, where there's a man who has a litany of, of all of these unclean spirits, and he, he, he is possessed by the devil. Terrifying thing, exhausting. And yet, after he gets through with all of these sick people, then he has to deal with scribes and Pharisees, who are asking him all of these trick questions, laying out all of these traps underneath him, trying to get him to say something self-incriminating. After he has dealt with the scribes and the Pharisees' nonsense, he's got 12 disciples who understandably just don't get it. And they start irritating Jesus. I mean, every morning Jesus awakes to, he understands that this is one morning closer to Gethsemane and to Golgotha. And so it says in Luke's gospel that, that Jesus would often withdraw and he would go deep into the wilderness. He would fly away, far away into the wilderness alone and he would be praying there. 
I mean, sometimes the most important thing that we could possibly do in our life is to get as far away from other people as we possibly can. And to close the door behind us in our house and to shut the lights off and to get underneath our covers and to breathe a little bit and to say nothing and to be nothing and to just rest for a little bit. But when the stuff has driven us to isolation, we, we also need to be very cautious about that, don't we? Because too much escapism, too much isolationism, that makes us susceptible to the evil one. I mean, we think that David is dealing with stuff right now, but, but not that long ago, he has, been, he has just dealt with all of this Bathsheba stuff. Everything that we, we know followed after that. Just, just a chain reaction of stuff after stuff after stuff that he brought upon himself. See, this is what happens when we spend too much time in isolation. David is still at home while all the other kings are off at war. Again, let's learn vicariously through King David's life. But, but anyway, I mean, here is where the help is in our text this morning. And what I love so much about Scripture is that I, I notice small little things that I never even knew had been there. And, and sporadically appearing all throughout in the book of Psalm, we will find a certain word that appears after a series of stanzas in the song, in the book of Psalms. And in our text at the end of verse 7, we, we find that word on the far right of the page, it is a selah. And now what this word means in the Hebrew, what, what selah is, is it is a musical direction during a song where it might not be identical to an interlude, but it's kind of like if you're listening to a song and all of a sudden it's got an instrumental, has a, has a guitar solo or something like that. And the words stop and the music really comes and it takes over. But, but mainly what Selah is, is that it is a pause. And this is just so very important as we look at the concept of having a pause. Where, where when we find this word Selah in the book of Psalms, it's like we are singing to God. We're praying to God. We are crying out to God. We're voicing all of our, our fears. We are articulating all of our worries. We're listing all of our complaints. But then we get to a salah and we pause. And we hold that pause and we listen. And we stop speaking. And so what the idea of salah is, is, is you have already spoken. And now stop singing and be completely silent. Stop complaining and listen to the melodies of God. Stop worrying about this or about that and, and just trust that, that, you know, that God knows what he's doing in our lives. That we stop despairing and that we remember that, wait a minute, this is the God who parts rivers. This is the God who, who shuts the mouths of lions and who slays giants. And then once we have been silent, once, once we have listened to the music and to the melodies long enough to remember who God is, then we start speaking again. 
And what I love about Selah is that so often once we, we see Selah make an appearance in the text, what comes after it is the word but. And when, when we emerge from Selah, now we have an entirely new perspective about God. Our entire demeanor has changed. As, as an example, as was read to us a moment ago, Psalm 3. Now notice how he begins listing all of his, his complaints and his anxieties. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. Many are saying in my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. It's interesting because this is also a Psalm of David after or as Absalom had been hunting him. So this is where it starts. This is what is on his, on his heart. But then notice, we get to this word right here, and he has a selah, pause, and a few moments go by. And then notice, though, how his, how his demeanor completely changes. That very first word, but. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory, you are the lifter of my head. God answered me, he says, and then again he pauses and he has another Selah. And he says that I lay down and I slept and I woke again for the Lord has sustained me. And then notice his courage all of a sudden as he says that that I will not be afraid even if thousands of people have set themselves against me from all around. And it's like, where did all of this courage and a sense of God is with me come from. It began, you know, I'm hopeless and I've got no, no hope of making it out of here alive. But once he pauses, now all of a sudden God is a shield about me. The whole world could be coming up against me and, and I would not be afraid of that one bit. See, this is the power of Selah once, once we have paused and listened to the music. And this is one of the many reasons why I love classic jazz as much as I do. Where here is, here is a music language where there's no words whatsoever. And yet you have the moods and the emotions of slavery, of the Great Depression, of World War II, and of segregation, of Pearl Harbor, all put together, but all of those moods and emotions, it takes flight and it takes wings of, of song and of melody. And now all of that hurting and suffering and anguish now is becoming art. And it is like, yes, this hurts so very much, but, but there is hope on the horizon. And that is what a Selah truly is. I mean, David has reached his lowest point here. He says, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly far, far away and be at rest. But then notice what he does in verse 7, though. Where he says, yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Pause. Say law. And he spends a little bit of time listening. And he's no longer speaking. He's no longer communicating. You know, it's what we find all throughout Scripture, you know. It's what we find Moses doing as the Israelites are having a panic attack at the Red Sea. The, the Egyptians are closing in on them. And what Moses says there is that 
these people who you are so afraid of, you will never see them ever again very soon. God is going to be fighting on your behalf, but what you need to do is to be, what? Silence. You've got to pause and to have a Selah as God fights for you and your silence. I think about Job as Job's friends come to him and they begin jumping to all kinds of, 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 of reckless conclusions about why he's suffering the way he is. And ultimately what he says is, oh, that you would just be silent. In other words, oh, that you would just shut up and have a Selah. And to listen to the voice of God. And to remember what he is capable of. And you know, Jesus had a say law as well, didn't he? We see him listing his complaints and pouring out his soul three times. God, I don't want to die like this. God, deliver me from this unfair death. I, God, I don't want to die like this. But it's like every single time he keeps stopping dead in his tracks, pausing, being silent for a few moments, and then three, three consecutive times, the very next words out of his mouth are, but not my will. See, it's that word, but. But not my will, but your will be done, Father. See, when we reach our lowest point, we need a Selah too, don't we? We need that spiritual timeout. And to remember. Because here's what happens when we practice that pause of Selah. Now I know that I, I'm very young. And I'm probably the youngest person in this church, in fact. And I know that I look like, I mean, I was asked a few years ago what high school I went to, for crying out loud. But, but I'm still old enough to remember my grandparents' old, old TV. I don't know if you remember these, these old, old televisions. Had six or seven channels on it. and I mean, it was not a flat screen. It was a round screen. You know, a round screen. You would fall asleep watching it late at night. And just from out of nowhere, it would go, beep, And then a voice would come on and say, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? They don't do that anymore, do they? Because nobody knows where their children are. But I remember, though, listening to a radio when, when I was very young, too. And I would listen to um, basketball games. And there was a color commentator. His name was Al McCoy. And oftentimes what, what he would say at least once or twice every telecast was he would say, we are going to now pause for station identification. And I mean, when we are going through what we're going through in this life, when we reach our lowest point, we need to spiritually pause for station identification. I mean, why is it so important that we pause and that we, we have a Selah? It's because when we pause, we might just arrive at the discovery that, that we are tuned into the wrong station. We're listening to nothing but the criticisms. We're, we're trusting in nothing but all of this negativity that God has nothing to, even to do with. You see, when we deal with all of this stuff, we can only see that 10% that is wrong in our lives and in the world. 
but it blinds us to this other 90% of what is right in the world and what is specifically right for you and I, heaven. We have salvation and redemption. We, we have God's grace within us. And yet when we are tuned in to all of this stuff in the world, it makes us think that the 10% is the 100%. That everything is horrible and that, that everybody in this world is against us. But, but that is not true, is it? You see, when we pause for station identification, that gives us an opportunity to breathe and to pray and to change our frequency. You know, on our radios, there is AM and there's FM, right? See, I think a lot of us are, are on AM radio. What is wrong about AM radio is that... I, I don't even know why it's on the radio to begin with, because you get, get a lot of this right here. You have a lot of static on, on a lot of the, the AM stations. And this is the only thing that, that you're able to even hear. And yet when you change frequencies, though, and you move over to FM radio, now what we have is a strong, clear signal. And a connection that we have. You see, and when we are going through what we're going through, when, 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 when you and I are on the wrong frequency, we cannot hear God clearly, can we? We got a lot of static in our ears. We got a lot of garbage that, that is not true, that is, is overflowing our hearts. But when we change frequencies, though, when we, when we pause and we listen to God's melodies and to his grace and we let that speak into our life instead, we get a good and a strong and a clear connection and a clear frequency from the word of God. We've seen King David's anguish and his anxiety, but notice what happens after he has had his salah. Now, it takes a little bit later for him in this particular psalm, but, but notice verse 16. Again, what we find is that word but appear. I want to fly away. I want to get away and all that. Verse 16, though, but I call to God and the Lord is going to save me evening and morning and at noon. I, I utter my complaint and I moan and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed, um, arrayed against me. If you notice, he has another pause in verse 19. And then ultimately, we come to verse 22, where he says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And then, um, at last, the very last sentence, again, is the word, but... But I will trust in you, he says. I mean, just a moment ago, this, this guy had been saying, God, get me out of here. I want to fly away from here. And yet God gave him a timeout, didn't he? David changed frequencies. He, he, he attuned away from all of the static, and now he has a clear, strong assurance from the living God. And in verse 22, where it says, cast... In the Hebrew language, what this means is to, to hurl or to flee. And it's a lot like when, when Amanda and I had a garden 
many years ago in Florida, we would have these, these huge bags and had soil bags and very heavy, right? Maybe in the past you have, you have had a huge, huge um, a potato sack maybe or, or, or a cement bag. And what you do when it gets too heavy to go another step is what do you do? You chunk it. You get it off of your shoulders. And that is exactly what Jesus is inviting us to this morning as we close. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, Cast all of your anxiety upon Jesus, for he cares about you. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Pause, he says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart. And if you will chunk it, in other words, then you will find rest for your souls. You know, it's been said many times that, that this life is a symphony. It is a stage where many good people come along, but there's also going to be many antagonists along the way and stuff. Let us not forget to put a say law every 10 or 15 stanzas of our life. It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are?